Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. The National Party faithful all seemed very upbeat, of course, during the official campaign launch yesterday. That's to be expected. I have to confess, though, I am a little underwhelmed by this pledge card idea. At least the party is paying for this one itself, unlike Helen Clark's Labour Party pledge card back in 2005, which was funded illegally, as it turned out, by the taxpayer. But some of the pledges on the Nats card are pretty woke, not necessary, and probably unattainable. Like, why bother with net zero emissions by 2050? Or if you have to do that, do some honest CO2 accounting and count grass and native forests in the sequestration. I've already talked about the universal winter heating payment. Absolutely unnecessary. It should be means tested. A lot of wealthy pensioners don't need more government money. But it's the tax cuts pledge which uh, bothers me the most. Yes, they have uh, shifted the threshold for tax brackets, which is great, but the idea of helping pay for it through this tax on expensive houses to foreigners is problematical on two fronts. Uh, The Nats have obviously uh, not checked legal opinions on tax treaties with other countries, which means they, they may not be able to put the tax on buyers from the US, China and Britain and some other countries too. But my biggest worry is the sheer volume of real estate that has to be bought and sold to raise $750 million through this tax. If it's a 15% tax, there has to be $5 billion worth of flash property sold to overseas buyers each year to raise $750 million. Now, $5 billion is $2,000 million houses sold each year to foreign buyers. 2,000 flash houses a year? To foreigners year in, year out? Look, I'm not in the real estate game, but the official numbers don't make this aim look that realistic, do they? Because in the last two years, only 7,177 house sales in New Zealand in total have been for properties worth more than $2 million. If the National Party's $750 million annual tax take is going to become a reality, the top end of the real estate market will need a serious heat-up. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. I was most intrigued last night to watch a TV1 news story making a big deal out of a house in West Auckland, which is the first in the country to be built by an all-women team. Now, this is from the groundwork using the digger, through to the final sign-off. In reality, I reckon there'll be a few men involved at some stage of the project because we all know that when you build a house, the personnel through the various trades change constantly. And if there's a man ban on this place, there could be quite a few construction hold-ups along the way. But then that would take away from the feel-good aspect of this story, wouldn't it? It was a great PR coup by Fletcher Living, who just happened to have a couple of attractive blondes as leaders of this project to appear on the TV news story. So good on Fletcher's for the story. Their PR department has put one over TV One News. 
I wonder, though, if this scenario would be reported on with the same enthusiasm. A primary school where every member of staff is a male. You see, as much as building and construction are dominated by males, primary school teaching is a female-heavy industry, to the stage where more than 8 out of 10 primary school teachers are women. Now, considering that half of the primary school population is male, the demographics of the teaching staff should make some effort to reflect that, shouldn't it? The stats for female construction workers, about 1 in 10, are actually not that much different to male primary school teachers, which are about 2 in 10. So sure, let's get women into construction and building and the trades, but why don't we make the same effort to get males into primary school teaching? Look, I am biased on this issue. My father was a primary school teacher, and I feel very fortunate to have had a male teacher for virtually my entire primary school education. Uh, to be fair, it was often my father. But my kids certainly did not get that, and most of my grandchildren certainly aren't either. Yet experience tells us that boys respond to strong male leadership at school. I'm sure a reduction in the feminization of the primary teaching sector and an increase in male teachers would be a great boost for New Zealand society. But I see absolutely no effort being made by educational authorities to do anything about it. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio members and join now. This is a big week for rugby. The All Blacks play their first match at the Rugby World Cup on Saturday morning our time, and I'll talk more about that later in the week. But I just want to congratulate Southland Boys High School for their win in the National First 15 Championship yesterday, beating Westlake Boys High of Auckland's North Shore in the final by 32 to 29. To be honest, it's been a long time since any rugby team from Southland was the best in the country, but this first ever school's title for Southland is just a wonderful result for SBHS. I also love it how some great Southland rugby names are scattered through this team. Uh, the coach is Jason Dermody, no doubt a relation of the former All Black and Highlanders coach uh, Clark Dermody. The usual captain of the team is Gregor Rutledge, who was injured. He couldn't play the final, unfortunately. I guess he's a grandson of the 1970s all-black Lester Rutledge, maybe the son of the former Southland hooker Jason Rutledge. And the first five for the team, Rico Muliaina, who is no doubt related to the 100-test all-black Mills Muliaina, who, let us not forget, was a Southland boy and a Southland Boys High School student until he was snapped up on a rugby scholarship to go to Kelston Boys High in Auckland. So there were some great bloodlines through that team that won yesterday, uh, but the heroes were a 15-year-old fullback called Jimmy Taylor, who's a goal kicker and a drop kicker, who scored what turned out to be the winning points, and a midfielder called Amaziah Mitchell, who looks a real prospect for the future. Now, I love underdog stories in sport, and this is one of the best. A rugby in the South these days isn't too flash, to be honest. The Highlanders really struggle. Neither Otago nor Southland are front runners in the NPC. So this win by Southland Boys High School uh, was a real, real boost for the game in the southern part of the country. I just hope that these boys stay around southern rugby for a few years to come. Our text machine is now live. 
Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now, some of the myriad of correspondence which has come in to me via inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. This person does not want their name identified. It reads as follows. There is $100 million a year spent by our government on our corrupt media. Over and above the Public Interest Journalism Fund, source Chris Luxon would prefer you don't reveal my identity as I don't need to be targeted by these idiots. You were right about TVNZ. They have a $16 million deficit this year. Time to sell them off. Uh, To some more correspondence to the next page. Great interview with Chris Lynch, Peter, not mentioning a name, but the female host on Seven Sharp was not being a comedian during her time of the great vaccination push. Her role was definitely to promote the vax. She even went as far as announcing on the program she was going to host a party where the unvaccinated would not be invited. I will never forget this. That's very easy. Don't watch the program. I don't. Uh, Hooray, hooray, Peter Williams, expressing joy at hearing Chris Lynch's views on government-paid content on national TV. Surprisingly, Mike Hosking had his own rant on this same issue a few days ago as well. Good to hear some noise around this, but as I understand it, the mainstream audience doesn't know much of this, which is unfortunate. But would they care, Shelley? Uh, Probably not. Uh, I had a bit of a rant last week about proposed new speed restrictions in Wanaka Township. Uh, which apparently the council is now walking back on because they've they've heard of some uh, serious opposition to it early on. Anyway, this text says, uh, Mr Williams, the speed restrictions are part of the world agenda to sway us from wanting to travel and connect with others. Keep people in the 15-minute city centres, people who have to think twice before getting behind the wheel means a loss of freedom. Uh, Glenn says, I was never a great fan of Chris Lynch, but really enjoying the interview with Peter. Thank you for that. Uh, On the matter of school lunches, I just have one comment when it comes to school lunches, writes Rowan. The one who feeds you owns you. Love all you do. Uh, Thank you for that, uh, Rowan. And over the page, Jan Boysen of Todonga says... I love your show and the alternative music you play. Here's a good one by The Stones. Time waits for no one. You sure it's called that or is it time is on my side? Uh, Either way, Jan, the sentiment of that Rolling Stones music is absolutely spot on. And finally from Leon, long-time listener here, a question for Philip Crump, a.k.a. Thomas Cranmer. Can Philip categorically state that he has never tried to solicit official information or sensitive information using a fake name. Regards, Leon. Good question, Leon. I would imagine no. Can he categorically state that? I haven't asked him, but I would say the answer to that question uh, would be no, because after all, he is a lawyer, and a lawyer knows the law, and it is not a smart idea to ask for official information using a false name. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your correspondence. There has been a lot of it in the last few days. Uh, you can text me on 2057, my address, inbox at realitycheck.radio. 
RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Making a difference. Now, there has been quite the public spat here in the south of the country about the chair of the Strath Tyree Community Board, which is a very rural part of the Dunedin City Council area. The man's name is Barry Williams, and at some stage in recent weeks, he made a supposedly racist comment to a member of the public in a pub. I say supposedly racist statement because at no stage have we, the public, been told exactly what this guy said. There has been an investigation by the lawyer, Steph Dyberg, who concluded that a material breach of the Dunedin Council's code of conduct had occurred. But again, we as members of the public have no evidence about what was said. The Dunedin City Council has voted to censure Barry Williams, and even invited him to resign. The DCC also said that Steph Dyberg's investigation would not be released to protect the identity of the victim. Well, I'm afraid that's just a cop-out. The council could easily let the public know what was said and the circumstances of what apparently was a private conversation without identifying the so-called victim. I say so-called because we are in no position to know if she was victimised or just on the end of some robust language in a private conversation. This is the problem with this whole story. We are asked to believe the media uh, that this was a racist slur. How could we possibly know if we're not told what this alleged slur was? Isn't the media supposed to tell us the full story? If the alleged slur is not reported and quoted, how can we know it was a slur? It's like the question of a tree falling over in a forest when nobody is there to see or hear it. Did it make a noise? So do we just have to believe the media that it was a slur? And considering the level of trust in the media these days, is that wise? The Mayor of Dunedin, Jules Radich, gave a hint of what may or may not have been said when he said uh, himself in an interview that the comment by by, uh, Mr Williams happened in a pub and that Mr Williams didn't even remember that it had happened. So was that the truth or not? We'll never know because that comment has the hand ringers on the case of Jules Radich now. And the mayor has had to make all sorts of groveling apologies because he, according to the hand ringers, trivialised the original incident. But how can we know if Barry Williams said something racist or not until the actual words he used in a pub after a meal mix-up are reported uh, to the public? We are left with the impression of the left-leaning media again, just running a hit job against a couple of middle-aged white male politicians. Barry Williams may have said something absolutely awful and dreadful, but until we know what it was, how can we judge it? You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. 
Now, here's some news the mainstream media don't want you to know about. They're not reporting it. There is significant opposition to gender ideology being taught in primary schools. We know this because Family First asked the respected Curia polling company to find out the mood of the nation on this issue. The poll found that only one in ten of the 1,000 people surveyed think that primary school aged children should be taught that they can choose their gender and that it can be changed through medical intervention if they want it to be. Over three quarters of those surveyed said it shouldn't be allowed and 14% don't know or didn't answer. Now on the matter of taking part in sport, only 13% said boys who identify as girls should have automatic rights of access to girls sports teams such as netball or rugby or football teams. The number has dropped remarkably from 39% in 2018 to a third of that in just five years. So what that says is that coverage of athletes like Laurel Hubbard and Leah Thomas and the work of women's rights activists like Roe Edge has brought home to many the unfairness of having men and boys in girls and women's sports teams and having men compete against women in events where strength is a dominating factor. There's also quite a pushback against puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones and sex change surgeries for those under the age of 18. Over half of those surveyed supported a ban on gender affirmation treatment for those under the age of 18. As Bob McCoskery from New Zealand First says, the majority of New Zealanders are increasingly uncomfortable with the gender ideology curriculum being taught in most schools. He has also found anger and disbelief that parents can be kept out of the loop on all this, and that a child's social transitioning may be facilitated by the school without the parents being informed. Family First wants the Ministry of Health to ban gender affirmation treatment for those under 18 and to get the Ministry of Education to remove gender ideology from the Relationships and Sexuality Education Programme, the RSE. The results of these polls should come as no surprise to most of us, but one thing a new government led by the National Party should do is ensure that the Ministry of Education cancels the contract with that outfit inside out, which seems intent on creating havoc and confusion in the minds of many primary school-aged children with their talks and workshops on inclusiveness. We know a new government has a major job ahead at the Ministry of Education anyway, uh, but this particular aspect of that job should not be forgotten. Thank you for your company this afternoon. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on Reality Check Radio. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.